Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Tim Brando of Fox Sports as we're just a couple months away from the start of college football. Never too early to talk some ball with uh, Timmy B, so we'll have a great chat with him coming up in uh, just a few minutes from right now. Also got his take on UConn and them leaving the ACC for the Big East. His thoughts on that and uh, possibly the first domino to fall in conference realignment. We'll touch on that. Also got Tom Fullery coming up later in the show as well. Joining me as always is Thomas Bridges, who is uh, here with me now on the Jones Report this week. TB, with you being the karaoke man, I was thinking about this. I have the perfect karaoke song in mind. I was watching America's Got Talent the other night, and Tom, uh, are, are you ready for this? I, I was thinking, um, I need to go do karaoke at your place, and the song I would choose would be Tequila. Oh, my God. You know, someone brought that up not too long ago just because they didn't want to sing. They just could say Tequila. <laughs> And they did, and everyone got a good kick out of it. Um, did everybody get I into it? To, I just need to come to Lawrence or Kansas City and do a night. Right? Did everybody get into it too? Oh, they, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily into it, but they thought it was a good time. They did. They did have a solid laugh, and that is what it's all about. I think that is a song, Tom. That. If you're trying to get people to do karaoke and, you know, they refuse to do it, they claim they're nervous or whatever, they refuse to sing, you tell them, no, you're going to do tequila. That's just it. You're going to do tequila. Right, that. And I'm doing this thing this month. I'm calling it kamikaze karaoke. And you draw a song. It's actually out of a trick-or-treat pumpkin that you would carry around and get, you know, to trick-or-treat with. And I just put funny songs in there, and if you draw a song out of there and you sing it, uh, you get put into the drawing at the end of the month for cash money. So it's been pretty funny. I've had people sing. I had two guys that wanted just to sing together, and they'd split the money if they won. And it was uh, Teach Me How to Dougie. Okay. That was funny. Uh, Someone did How Great Thou Are. That would be something. that That was pretty funny. Uh, someone's uh, guy did man I feel like a woman okay that was pretty funny someone did the 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 kiss me cam the kiss me that was pretty funny uh, I've had people do uh, the Titanic song my heart will go on and I've had someone do the Whitney Houston the the I'll always love you that's good my, my go-to karaoke song Tom has always been and will always be Africa by Toto. That to me, I just belt out blessing the rains from Africa, and the continent has never been the same. That is, I would love to hear that rendition, the Tyler Jones rendition of Africa. That would be. If only you were so lucky. Right, exactly. I think my go to is uh, here lately, it's been uh, Elton John's. Uh, don't let the sun go down on me. That's good. That's that's been a solid one here lately. That's a banger. It is a banger. That's a that's a when it's slow in the bar and no one's really trying to sing, and I'll do that. That's after a couple uh, Maker Mark and Dr Pepper's. 
No one knows what it means, but it's pr- provocative. Gets the people El- going. Elton John can be pretty provocative, I think. Yeah, it gets the people going. Yes. Right. No question. No question about that. Tom, I- I've been doing a lot of traveling, putting a, a lot of miles in the car. Uh, back at Fort Twin here in Omaha for the College World Series. I'm headed to California later this week to call an uh, all-star football game. And, and I was thinking, Tom... Have you had the luxury to make it out to College World Series yet? Oh my gosh, what a sight that is! Not. I need to though. If I tell you what, if Oklahoma State would have made it, I probably would have had to have. I was there uh, the last time OSU was in the College World Series right, about two or three years ago. I should have went, and they had a pretty good year this year. Now I've got an OSU baseball jersey. I'm ready for you know that new stadium in Stillwater to open up. Uh, it's going to be nice, and they're going to serve beer. That's always nice. Yeah, so I'm like, well, you can't beat that. You know, that's just another reason to go to Stillwater. Well, you got to have that if, like, if you're not working and have to actually sit through a nine inning baseball game, you got to have, you know, some type of accessory of some sorts. Right? Yeah, yeah. A couple things and nachos and all the beer you can drink. Yeah, uh, but Omaha does a terrific job with this College World Series. I, I saw Tom that you could get like a GA ticket. At the College World Series, and granted, attendance is terrible. So it's not or, it, attendance, not terrible. <laughs> attendance is incredible. It's not like they have an attendance issue, but you can get a general admission ticket to the College World Series, Tom, for like nine bucks. Wow, it's incredible. And now how's how's the GA seating though? Oh, GA seating's terrific. There's not a bad seat in that place, and. You just go everywhere, and it's tremendous. The job that Omaha does hosting this thing every single year, I think it would be crazy to ever move the College World Series away from Omaha or to move the Women's College World Series away from Oklahoma City. Those cities, here's the thing I've noticed, in particular with Omaha. I haven't been to the Oklahoma City one, but in Omaha, Tom, that there's a lot of people, whether it's people from Omaha or folks that you know plan trips every year vacation-wise, that they may not even be a fan of a certain team that's even in the College World Series, but they're a fan of college baseball, and so they just take time off work and go see as many games as they can, camp out in Omaha for you know a, a week and a half, and just enjoy the College World Series. It's a pretty unique thing that you can have a championship series that's affordable where folks can you know enjoy the experience Omaha is not too hot either it's right you know just north enough where it feels great the entire week it's a terrific site and a terrific host for this uh this college world series they do a great job and bring in people from all over just to see some some great college baseball yeah it would be a shame if they ever even thought about moving it from Omaha or even even softball from Oklahoma City. Uh, I mean, just growing up, you know, and having sisters that played softball, you know, it was just a thing. Even if we went to, like, different, you know, different cities. Like, we went to San Antonio once for a ball tournament. We went to Kansas City. Uh, we went to Arkansas. We went, you know, just tri-state area, but, you know, pretty far south or north those states. Um, that people just recognize, like, Oklahoma City is like the softball haven or, like, the softball mecca. Um, so it would be – I think it would be dumb to move from there, and that's just the same from Omaha. I th- you know, I think – I played baseball as a kid, and honestly, I hated it. Uh, but kids who love it, 
um, and kids who, you know, play school ball and even up into college, I think it's, you know, you dream of making it to Omaha. That's just what it is. There's even like, uh, you know, I had a friend that, that pitched for Arkansas and, uh, and <clears throat> Arkansas is such, you know, a pretty good baseball program that every time they make it to Omaha, they call them the Omahawks. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just like a staple in college baseball. So I don't think they could ever just move it. Not to mention that just it's built up what it was. And that's, I'm pretty sure what Omaha is kind of known for. Um, so, and I'm, I'm sure they've had it there. So however long that it's just been perfected. Right. Uh, so, the, right uh, you know, the Omaha there? Zoo probably gets uh, plenty of visitors in uh, that stretch. The uh, uh, world famous Omaha Zoo it is, but just a wholesome, nice town in uh, in Nebraska. I mean, just terrific job. One of the things they did this year, Tom, was that you had the uh, Royals and the Tigers, and the Royals, you know, their Triple A team is in Omaha, and the Royals and the Tigers kicked off the College World Series by playing a special game there. Uh, special, they played a Royals home game in Omaha, sellout crowd. And got everybody fired up, and then they led into the College World Series. Pretty cool deal. First ever MLB game to be played in the state of Nebraska, and the uh, Royals picked up the victory that night. Pretty cool, uh, to say the I least, the- that they got that opportunity. You did, did you go to that? I did not. I, oh. uh, I was at the Topeka Zoo that night. Mm, that's right. My, yeah, I didn't know that. That's kind of awesome. I mean, that would, I mean... Obviously, I've never seen the, the stadium in Omaha, so I don't know how it compares to, uh, you know, the one in Kansas City that they normally It play. is. I'll say this. TD Ameritrade Ballpark, where this College World Series is, that is an MLB ballpark just with less seating. Everything about it is just as nice and just as good as most Major League Baseball ballparks in the country. It's just not big. The uh, maximum seating capacity... Is about twenty six thousand, but other than that, it's uh, it's a gorgeous facility. What's what's the sell? What's the sellout crowd at Kansas City? Uh, at a Royals game, a sellout crowd is thirty nine thousand. Okay, so not bad. Yeah, and uh, I think that game that the Royals had there, Tom, was actually one of the Royals' highest attended games this season because of wow. how much they're struggling right now. Wow, that's I guess that's saying you can get that would be cool to see. Tom, they're they're selling Royals tickets for the rest of the season, every game directly from the Royals for five bucks a pop right now. It's going to cost you more to park. It is cost you like fifteen bucks to park. Yeah, you can buy three tickets for that. That's incredible, right? That yeah, is my- something though. Might as well go, go park at like that Burger King or that Denny's and get you a little food, park there for free, and then you know walk over. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that for sure. That I, I think parking in Arrowhead and, and around that, I think that's highway robbery. Parking in Arrowhead right now is like sixty-five bucks on game. Wait, day. wait, no. On game day, it's like sixty or sixty-five bucks. Wow, what? You you, That's you can you buy just take the hotel tram. You can buy a parking pass online for Arrowhead Tom for forty bucks. That is ridiculous. They're making more off the parking lot than they are the game. Yeah, yeah. And this was going on well before Patrick Mahomes. So I know a lot of people 
you know, you know, want to blame Mahomes or whatever. You know, hey, things got tougher when the Chiefs got good, whatever. No, no, no. This has been on. This has been the trend from the Chiefs for quite some time. You know, when I went to a Rams game, we parked downtown. I think for like right by the stadium for like fifteen bucks. Granted, the Rams are crash in St. Louis. They were leaving, but still, yeah, uh, that, a man. little different. The problem with parking at Arrowhead, Tom, is that the Chiefs and the Royals, that, that Truman Sports Complex, they own the parking, and that literally is the only place to park because there's nothing else around the stadiums. Yeah. Comparably speaking, like the Rams, you go to a Rams game or a Cardinals game in St. Louis, it's right in the heart of downtown, so you just pay to park somewhere downtown. <laughs> parking garages and all that. Too. Right. The Chiefs and the Royals are, are so secluded from the rest of Kansas City, you don't have a choice. Oh my god, yeah, that's true. I mean, at the same time, if you're, you know, if you own it, that's a genius place to put it. You right. got a monopoly on the parking. Yeah, no question. You're making more than, than, you know, the game. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, crazy how that is, Tom. There should be some reform on that. That's some highway robbery. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that, that might be uh, called taking advantage. Here's the other thing that... that it gets me crazy, Tom, is that what you have with the Chiefs is a lot of people just tailgate and don't even buy a ticket. And so to me, I'm like, how crazy are you? You're spending 60 bucks just to grill outside the stadium? Why? You couldn't do that at home? You couldn't do that at home and save no 60 joke. bucks? And then have to you know, try to drive out of there. Right, I get it. No, I get it. I get it. I mean, I can grill outside, you know, in front of my garage and watch the OSU game. Or if I had the money and to get a space, I could go just tell. I mean, that's like at OSU games. They're like, there's a large majority that just tailgate outside of the game. I think it's kind of silly. I think if you're that close, why not just go to the game? That's a logic I will never understand. Yeah. Now, I get if you live in Stillwater. I know that's fine. Right, but to or pay to park at the stadium and then not go to the game is ridiculous. And you know, like, the TV is a little behind, always. And so you're going to hear the crowd roar. Right. It's like, you're like, well... Whether it's good or bad. Right, exactly. And, and, you know, I mean, you can hear right up by the stadium, even walking out, you can hear... I mean, you can hear the announcer, too. Right. And so it's... Why not go to the game? Oh yeah, yeah that that is something. Maybe we need some experienced tailgaters to explain this to us because the logic and the reasoning behind it just doesn't make any sense. But anyways, moving on with uh, Tim Brando coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, I want to take an opportunity to talk some uh, KU and some Big Twelve football, and then about UConn here in just a second as well. But Tom, shaping up for uh, this upcoming season, the years to come. Let's start on the KU front of things. Les Miles has. 20 commits, 20 for the class of 2020, 20, 20, 20. Uh, that's some pretty good vision right there. Now, here's the thing. You know, the, the numbers are looking really good for Les Miles as far as, you know, 24-7 sports, I believe, or it said that he had the number two recruiting class in the Big 12 right now, and you have all these commitments, but... A reality check for a moment here. Obviously, not all of these guys are going to stay committed. If you know, if you remember a couple of years ago, 
KU had some commits that were just out of this world that David Beatty had no business, it seemed like, even have a chance recruiting. And sure enough, a lot of those guys backed out. KU at one point had a top 10 recruiting class, I believe it was for 2018, and that dwindled down. They ended up still with a decent class, but it wasn't based on, wasn't even close to what they were projected with the initial commits that they had. But with that being said, this, uh, the numbers that they're putting out, I mean, it's pretty impressive. And Les Miles, obviously, his message is working to this point in time that it's selling to recruits. And, you know, they are hitting with a bunch of three-star guys. They don't have a single – I believe they have one four-star recruit so far in this 2020 class right now, but the rest are three-star guys. When it's all said and done, OU and Texas and Oklahoma State – TCU, those other schools will catch up to speed, and they'll pass up KU and have better recruiting classes. But as of right now, Tom, when I look at just the way, you know, checking off every box per se, if if you were to say, you know, give a grade or try to evaluate how Les Miles has done up until this first game, I would say that he's checked off every box to this point, whether it was the way that he has publicized and put, you know, KU football on the map, whether it has been, you know, the whole spring game approach, um, you know, bringing in Rick Ross and just the attention that brought to the university, this talent that he's brought in, um, you know, just these other, just the way that everything has gone over the last couple of months. I don't know if Les Miles could have done any better. With that being said, though, the... As I've said up from all along this entire time, eventually the honeymoon phase will end for this Kansas football program. Les Miles is going to lose more this upcoming year than he has lost in a very long time. It's about to happen. Now, that could mean that you know his bad year is a good year for KU in those terms, but still, it is going to be a lot rougher for Les than what it's been comparably speaking, what he's used to at LSU. So, you know, that to me is going to be the real test in that so far he has completed everything. It all looks great to this point, you know, with flying colors. But we're all waiting at this point, Tom. All that looks good, but let's see what the results are in the field. I I think that when you looked at Les Miles when he came to KU, Tom, we all said that he was going to bring attention to this university like they've never had before, that he was going to draw interest and do things that this university had never seen. But the real question was going to come down to the performance on the football field. Was he Is he going to be able to run a modern offense? Is his age a problem? Is you know, is his mind in the right place? You know, he runs 100 miles an hour and he goes a million different directions. None of those answers. And then involve, and then also Puka Williams' future. Sounds like he's going to be suspended about one to three games, but still waiting on that confirmation and such. All those things we're still waiting on, and we won't know until the season itself starts. Les has done everything right up until this point, but... The real test is still ahead for for Les and this KU football program. We're still, as fun as the last several months have been, Tom, we're still in the the baby stages as far as this Les Miles uh, experiment goes. Yeah, and and I agree. He'll probably do, you know, better than KU standards, but it also will weigh on him, you know, 
teams he used to beat or teams that you know that he had prior that that you know this team's not going to stand up to his standards necessarily it's going to be something i'm i'm sure he's going to have to work through because he's not used to not making a bowl game um but you know what we've seen crazier things happen and then i'm not going to just rule out ku not making a bowl this year um I think if they have six wins, I think when they go to a bowl game, I think that's going to be like a, a, K, a KU Super Bowl. And that's okay uh, because if they do, that, that's going to be awesome, not only for just KU, but that's also awesome um, for the Big 12. And, you know, now I get that there's 10 teams and there's only so many wins to go around, but if they cannot be last in the conference this year, if they can figure out how to do that, uh, uh, that in my book would be – maybe the best thing to happen to KU this season. No question. No question. If they get to that point, Tom, if this team finds themselves with a chance to make a bowl game, um, they might as well go ahead and get the statue up right now because everybody would take that and just be floored if that's the case. And, you know, here's the thing. You know, when you talk about expectation and such, the the thing that Jeff Long has talked about is his goal is that he wants – the KU football program to eventually be a team that's contending to win Big 12 championships. You know, and, if Iowa State can do it, then with Matt Campbell, and I, I'm not throwing shade on Matt Campbell, right? He beat Oklahoma State last year. I'm not throwing shade. Right. But if Matt Campbell can do it with Iowa State, Les Miles can do more with KU. Yeah, and, and maybe so. And, you know, when, when you look at the goal of J- Jeff Long that he's established of that, you know, he wants KU to be contending for Big 12 titles, to win Big 12 championships, here's a, here's a reality check on that, Jeff, is that there's only been one team that's won the Big 12 in the last three years, and that is Oklahoma. They have dominated this league. And so you, you look at, do you want to get that down the road? Absolutely. Is that obtainable down the road? Maybe. Maybe so. But for right now, if Les Miles turns this team into a bold team, a bold contender, you know, for the next several years, that to me would be an amazing achievement. It would be quite the benchmark and would be an impressive job done by Les Miles if he can get to that point. I think the talk of the Big 12 stuff is way down the road still for this program and this team just because you have a team in Oklahoma that has dominated this league and then right behind them is one of the blue bloods of college football in Texas who has been getting better and better every single year of the last couple of years and is on the way back on the uptick once again. We'll talk about the rest of the league here in just a second, but expectation-wise... I think that for Les Miles right now, try to get this team to be a bold team. You know, whether it's this year and the next couple of years, you do that, then I think you're cooking with bacon grease, and the rest of that is just extra the rest of the way uh, for him in this program right now is just getting to that point. The other stuff is is way in the road. Just focus on the the the, the goal that's ahead, and you'll be loved if you just get it to this team a bowl win. I mean, realistically, there's there's two winnable games. I'm not sure if the the BC games at home or not. But, it's on the road. You know, okay, so Boston College is a, a pretty tough team last year. Realistically, that's two winnable games. Then you're looking at four more over the course of Big Twelve play. Uh, 
obviously you got to steal one somewhere. Uh, I think you could get Texas Tech. Uh, I think you could get Baylor. And K State. Yeah, no Bill Snyder anymore. Yeah, I think you could. That would be. I think Tom and and I'm not saying this. You know me. I've always been a realist. I don't wear glasses of any team whatsoever. Um, I always tell it like it is. I think that this KU roster is a better roster than what K-State has. I think that that is a better team that KU has this year than K-State does going into 2019. Where is the Sunflower Showdown this year? It is in Lawrence. There you go. It's on their side this year. They could they could be playing the last game with five wins, realistically. Yeah. I, it's, I don't a, think it's a little bit of a stretch. I think that, you know, you, you look at last year's team, for example, Tom, they won three games, and there was probably two or three games that you looked at with a competent coach, they win. They should have won the K-State game. They uh, should have won uh, probably, you know, one, one of the others, whether it was Baylor or another one, if you just had a coach that knew what he was doing instead of a knucklehead like David Beatty. Um, then there's five, maybe even six wins last year. So th- this year's squad, you know, Les Miles, if he is the coach we think he, you know, we think he is, then that's that's huge right there. That to me would would be huge for this team that they could maybe swap some of those those games that they didn't get those wins at a year ago. When I look at this league, Tom, going into this season. Oklahoma is the favorites, but here's what I wonder, Tom. Jalen Hurts was a terrific quarterback at Alabama. No question about it. I really liked Jalen. But when you go into this system at OU, this is a lot more passing than Jalen Hurts has ever been used to. And at Alabama, they ran the ball a lot. They ran it down people's throats. OU has a very good running game, might I add you. Kennedy Brooks... And those guys, I mean, they got a good backfield, but they have a young offensive line. They're replacing a lot of guys that went to the NFL. Creed Humphrey is the only one that's back in that offensive line for OU. OU is going to be the favorites once again, but I would not be shocked if there is significant drop-off from that quarterback position of when you had Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and all of a sudden down to Jalen Hurts. Jalen's a very good quarterback, but I do not think that he's Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. No, of course he's not. But, you know, you know, I was surprised last year with Kyler Murray as well as he did. I mean, <clears throat> maybe I'm just a hater, but I was not expecting a Heisman season out of Kyler Murray. Uh, ended up being now he's going to be starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals instead of uh, playing for the Oakland A's. So, we've, I mean... OU has a weird way about just being good or, you know, the dumb Sooner Magic shit. I would, I don't think Jalen's going to have a Heisman season, uh, but I won't be surprised if he is one of the main reasons OU wins the Big 12 again. Um, but, I mean, Jalen's faced some controversy, and, and he's one of those players that would bounce back from it and, and take it on the chin and, and rise to the occasion. Um, so I would not be shocked if he's one of the main reasons uh, that OU wins the Big 12 again this year. I'm not saying I'm not going to come out and say that they will, uh, and that they probably won't have a good of a year as last year. Put me on record saying that. I'm sure I'll eat my words when they make the college football playoff again. 
but that's okay. We're in June. Um, <laughs> but as far as the line not coming back, um, you know, some holes in that offense, it's not going to be the same, but OU always finds a way. Someone always steps up that you've never heard of before uh, and ends up being a first-round pick. So we'll not be surprised if Jalen Hurts uh, has this year a better year than he ever did at Alabama. That's just that's just kind of how uh, that OU offense works. How the cookie crumbles and <laughs> yeah, a testament a to how good Lincoln Riley is to developing quarterbacks. Nothing will shock me. You know, I, I'm, I'll say this, Tom. With, with Jalen, you know, I, I don't think, as I mentioned, that he's as good as Baker or Kyler Murray. I would expect a drop-off of some sorts. But nothing's going to shock me if Lincoln Riley pulls a bag, you know, out of his hat and turns Jalen Hurts into a Heisman Trophy winning number one overall pick. Um, because so far that's been what Lincoln Riley's good at and what he does. So, you know, who knows? With uh, you know, Lincoln Riley has proven to be that good of a developer of talent that, you know, maybe Jalen's just his next project that's weighed in to blossom and take that next step. That's certainly possible. With, with OU, Tom, real quick on them, is, you know, you, you look at this bunch and, you know, Alex Grinch takes over as the defensive coordinator and they're take, making some major changes on that defense. But, you know, even with the improvements that they've had recruiting-wise, I think that's a multi-year project in, in uh, improving that defense at OU. That that is going to take some time for that defense to get better. This is not something that is going to be fixed you know, with Mike Stoops out the door overnight, that all of a sudden this defense is just going to be better just by changing coordinators. You you have to change out the personnel over years of time. And so what I wonder is, when I look at this OU team heading into 2019, Tom, is let's say, you know, you can expect the offense to take a drop-off even just a little bit and still be a tremendous offense. Let's say that they drop off 12%, and even then they would still probably be the best offense in the conference even if they dropped up 12%. Can the defense get 12% better? I don't know if that's the case when it comes to this defense. I still have major concerns, and it's not concerns just with, you know, if they play big-time non-conference talent, you know, whether it's, you know, trying to win a playoff game or whatever. You know, that defense should have cost them games in the Big 12 last year. You know, whether it was against Oklahoma State or a number of teams that defense, you know, got bailed out by that offense so many times last year. It's hard to imagine everything going right and that happening again um, if the defense doesn't significantly improve, um, you know, that balance of the offense dropping off and the defense getting better. I don't see there being that much of an increase in that defense to make up for the, the drop-off you're going to see offensively. So do you think they lose more than two games? Is the defense going to be – is the offense not going to make up for two more than two games? Is that what we're looking at here? See, here, here's the other thing. Here's the other part of that, though, Tom. I do think this is a weaker Big 12 this year. I think that Texas is going to be improved. But, you know, after OU, Texas, and Iowa State, it's kind of have a crapshoot from, from uh, four through ten at that point. I think that's where – 
OU benefits is that they might not be as productive offensively and the defense might improve just a little bit, not a whole lot. But the Big 12 as a whole, after that top three, is going to be down a little bit, I think, compared to what we saw last year and the previous years. Do you think Iowa State is going to beat out Oklahoma State for a third spot? Yes, I think Iowa State has a realistic shot to play in the Big 12 championship game. I will, I will believe it when I see it. I'm not that high on them. I think Mike Gundy has that game and aims circled, as do I. And I will probably be at that game. I think, I, I, I think Iowa Oklahoma State's State got the best quarterback in the conference in Brock Purdy. They Their offense was terrific towards the end of last year. Their defense took some big steps. They won some big-time games in the month of Brocktober uh, with Brock Purdy leading the way, you know, when they beat OSU and Texas Tech and and some of these others. You know, I mean, once he took over, they were a whole different team last year. And so I think that's going to carry over. I think that they're the third-best team entering next season. You know, preseason rankings are one thing. We can agree to disagree. I will believe it when I see it. Well, what do you need to see? I mean, Iowa State was more consistent than Oklahoma State was a year ago. Well, no, no, I get that. I get that. But, you know, Oklahoma State, I feel like, is going to be – and maybe that's just my bias showing, and that's okay. I think I think it's going to be a lot different here. Uh, there's a lot of games OSU shouldn't have dropped. Baylor, K-State, Iowa State. I'll say this, Tom. OSU does a much better job of playing the underdog role than they do as the favorite. You know, a couple of years ago, they were right there with OU as co-favorites to win the league. Everybody expected them to play in the Big 12 title game, so much so that they moved the OU-OSU game to early November so they wouldn't play back-to-back weeks. And what do you know? OSU laid an egg and lost three games uh, when they should have really only lost two. They had no business losing to uh, K-State and a couple others that year. I think that one thing that OSU, where this year could play them to their favorite, and a lot of that falls on Mike Gundy, is that they th- this year no one is picking Oklahoma State to win the Big 12. Nobody's picking Oklahoma State to play in the Big 12 title game. All season long... Mike Gundy and this Oklahoma State team will be playing with a chip on their shoulder, essentially. I think so, and, and I will tell you that I don't expect Oklahoma State necessarily to go to the Big 12 championship this season. I do think they beat out Iowa State. Maybe I just I, – I hate Iowa State. So you know that. You know how I feel about the Cyclones. Um, but uh, new offensive coordinator, we're going to find out. Yeah, and uh, I wouldn't call it a new look Oklahoma State offense. I think it's going to be similar to the ones they've had previously. Uh, but you know what opposing coordinators have on this guy is just what he had at Ivy League schools, and hey, that's not a knock on him. I mean, if you can coach, you can coach. Uh, but I like what I see so far. So that'll be that is another storyline I'll be interested to see is what is Oklahoma State's offense going to look like this year right compared to the previous years under the the him that will not be named Mike Yersich. right right <laughs> after he took that uh that job at Ohio State the Ohio the OSU right, right? and that just shocks me right um but you know Mike Gundy apparently liked him was a big fan um no. after all that time but uh, the 
the first domino may have fallen in conference realignment. We're going to talk more about this with uh, with Tim in just a few minutes, Tom. But UConn leaving the American Athletic Conference to rejoin the Big East, and I say rejoin. This is kind of new territory because they haven't been a part of the Big East as it is now. Kind of to refresh folks, because I know it can get a little confusing at times. The Big East, the way it is now, is that there are no D1 football programs in the Big East, and that all the teams in the Big East Conference are basketball-first programs, and everything else is secondary. They don't offer football. If you want to play football in a, the, and be a Big East school, you got to go play in another conference or be an independent of some sorts. Uh, in that league, the way it's shaped out now. They went back to their roots of focusing on basketball, and it's been highly successful. Villanova has won two national championships in the last four years and has become a powerhouse when they weren't otherwise. And they have a pretty nice TV contract with Fox. There's a lot of good things going for this uh, new Big East as it is. And in UConn's case... They had kind of fallen off the map a bit. They weren't seeing the success that they had previously. But, Tom, I think that it is lazy for UConn folks. UConn tends to think that the American was the reason why their basketball program had fallen off. And that's just, that's just lazy. It's, it's not true. It, it simply isn't. I mean, their their women's basketball program is just as good as they were before. They didn't fall off at all. You look at the other schools in that basketball conference, Wichita State, Houston, Cincinnati. I mean, those are all top 25 teams every single year, and UConn has been you know barely above 500 in that stretch. I think that Kevin Ollie just did a piss-poor job as the basketball coach for that program. I think that you know they made some mistakes in the way that they went about things. Um, clearly, they missed uh, old Big Jim, their uh, their last head coach. Uh, you know, there. I mean, Kevin Ollie wasn't the same guy. That's where I would look to. I, I I don't think it has anything to do with them with the AAC being the problem for their success. They just were. Uh, they just made some poor decisions on how they went about things. I don't think if. If you redid these years and said, okay, UConn, you're going to be in the Big East these next several years compared to what they were in the American this past year, I don't think the results would have been any different because you still had the same coach and Kevin Ollie and some of those other bad decisions that would have been made. I think it's it's lazy to blame the American for the lack of success that UConn has had in the last several years. I know they've been a powerhouse. They've won more national championships in you know, the past, you know, two decades than Kansas has in a number of schools. Um, UConn has been outstanding. They're a blue blood in college basketball, but it's not the AAC's fault that they haven't reached the success that they're accustomed to. So that's a cop-out to say that when they know that, you know, you can't be good necessarily every year. And and for you, by UConn standard, this is obviously pretty low. It's a pretty low point. Uh, for them, but to say that the conference is the reason that you're doing not so good is, is honestly, like you said, just a cop out. Uh, I mean, sure, you can switch programs, but you know, if in three years there's still a 500 program, then what excuse are we going to get? Right. 
What, right. What, I mean, what? I mean, what then? I mean, right. What? What? What's the next point at that? If uh, if UConn is still struggling, uh, I mean, eventually they they got to take some responsibility. And, and here's the thing: I get it that UConn is frustrated that they didn't like what the American did with their TV contract and some of the things that they negotiated. They worked out. They don't like that they don't get very many games on network television. That type of ordeal. Um, you know that that's fine, but be honest about that. If you know, I think that the fact that they're upset that they think the AAC is a problem uh, for their lack of success is just crazy. If UConn was honest and said, you know what, actually we're a basketball school and we just want to you know be a part of the this basketball conference again and play with these elite basketball programs and go back to our roots, we're a basketball school. If they just came out publicly and stated that and made it clear that, you know what, um, the AAC has been good to us, but we just feel like we're a better fit in the Big East, then I think that would be fine. But the fact that, you know, all this stuff that's come out, them blaming the ACC and this being an ugly ending, um, it's just crazy. Here's the other point of that, Tom, is that with their move to the Big East, the American is not going to let them stay as a football member. They still have to find a new home when it comes to football, and they're still trying to figure that out, whether that's be an independent or join Conference USA or the Sun Belt of some sorts. If UConn wasn't leaving on such a bad note, Tom, I think that UConn might even be allowed to be a football-only member if they left on good terms. Uh, you know, Navy is a football-only member. Wichita State is a basketball-only member in that league. The fact that they're leaving on such, you know, on their high horse and insulting the AAC, who has been a very good league. Remember, UConn won a national championship while they were in the AAC. It's not the AAC's fault. They've been successful when they've been in the AAC. So, to me, it's just crazy. And if they left on a good note then they actually would probably have a better home for their football program than they do now. UConn is not a national brand. UConn as an independent is simply not going to work. Oh, of course not. That would be silly to think so. I mean, Notre Dame can work. Yeah, that's sure. But, I mean, that's Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, UConn, it's a little past their prime. Uh, I mean, a little bit. You know, they had all those good years. Basketball, you said, won a national championship. All this other stuff. Now it's just like... Uh, you know, it's like uh, it's like a a girl, like a think of like a super hot girl, and and you know, you flaunts that we all know one that you know just flaunts and knows she's hot, and then as she gets older, I mean, I guess this applies to guys too. This can just work just the same, actually. Uh, and an individual that is very good looking that uses it to their advantage, and they get older, start losing their looks, maybe gain some weight or something. And then still try to flaunt it like they'd look before, like they did before. And then it just looks bad. Right. And that's what this is. I mean, this is a very attractive guy or a very attractive girl, uh, you know, putting on some old age weight and getting some wrinkles and then still trying to flaunt it like they did when they were younger. And it just, it, it doesn't work. Well, it looks bad. In UConn's case, Tom, I think the better move for them would be to hold out or negotiate in whatever and just beg the ACC. I think that would be the right compromise of, you know what, we want to be in a basketball league. 
We want to play, you know, in team with teams that care about basketball, but we still care about our football program. Want to make a lot of money too. You know, the ACC has got a new network. I'm sure they would love to have that. You know, that New England market. I know they think they kind of have it with Boston College, but they could secure it with with UConn. Um, that's to me would be the more you know realistic move. The the move that is not an ego trip. You know, if they found a way in the ACC, that would be a better fit. I don't know if the ACC wants them, but to me that makes more sense. If you want to care about basketball but still have an emphasis on football too, that would make more sense to be a part of the ACC. But that doesn't appear to be the case when uh, when it comes to UConn here. What I do wonder though, Tom, with this move that UConn's making, if you remember a few years back, if we go all the way back in the hot tub time machine, back to uh, you know the late 2000s. Nebraska was the first domino to fall, and everybody followed suit with changes after that, you know, with Colorado going to the Pac-12, Mizzou going to the Big Ten, A&M going to the SEC, West Virginia going to the Big 12, TCU going to the Big 12, you know, all that, all the changes. The biggest conference realignment, you know, that college football and college athletics had seen in over 20 years. There's been a break since there's been major conference realignment, Tom. We haven't seen any movement in quite some time because everybody's grant of rights uh, are not up for a while. And we're closer to that than we are further out of the grant of rights being up. So I wonder, Tom, with this move being made, with UConn you know, going to the Big East for basketball and you know, going to either a smaller conference or an independent for football, is this the first domino to fall in the next movement? Is this what's going to lead to other changes, whether that be, you know, Texas or Oklahoma looking at other options or, you know, you know whether it's the Pac-12 and the mess they're dealing with right now, whatever. Is this the thing that's going to kickstart the other, the other moves, or do you think we're still a while before uh, some conference realignment talk really heats up in the other leagues? You know, I think that UConn is such a small chip. Uh, uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, basketball-wise, you know, they're obviously a, a, a pretty big name. But in the grand scheme of things, I think it's maybe such a small move that we might not see some for a while. But, I mean, if it comes down to it, who else do you see? I mean, I, for one, am all for it. I, I love the – I want the mass chaos. As long as OU, Oklahoma State, and Texas all stay in the Big 12 uh, – as long as that core is together. And, I mean, to be fair, Oklahoma State needs Texas. I mean, the whole Big 12 kind of needs Texas as much as that sucks. Um, but as long as those three stay put, I'm all for mass chaos. Switch it all up. Yeah. Um, I, I would be – what I wonder, Tom, is if Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12 and if the Big 10 or you know the ACC, whatever, if there's just not room for KU somewhere – what I wonder in the back of my mind, Tom, is I really hope that KU, and I think that with them having Kansas City with you know, as great a facility Allen Fieldhouse is with Les Miles being there at KU, I don't think they would be in this circumstance. But in the back of my mind, I can't help but think, Tom, if KU doesn't get this football program up and running, they're going to be in the same situation as UConn, where they're going to be begging for membership into the Big East and hoping just to, you know, 
their football programs enough to get by somewhere. I mean, realistically, if KU doesn't get their stuff together with this football program, they could be in the same shoes that UConn is. I think that's still a ways out, and a lot bad would have to go wrong. But, I mean, it is an example for KU and some of these other basketball schools. You don't want to be what UConn is having to go through right now. No, especially not in the in the at the point KU's football is right now. I mean, they're on the come up. They're in a in a, in a football conference. Uh, they're getting the recruit. You know, obviously they're getting the recruits. Like what Les Miles done? We talked about it earlier. Um, this is not something KU wants to do right now. Now, let's take Les Miles and say another year David Beatty. Then maybe, uh, but I mean. Right now, I think KU's best move would just to be go ahead and stay put. They already have a lock on the Big Twelve for the mo- I say for the most part in basketball. Uh, I mean, other than this year, but every other fourteen years they don't win the league. Yeah, all right, okay, so yeah, they're in a good spot. That would be crazy. I mean, UConn with the five hundred seasons, I, I think uh, you know they're good. It's kind of like a midlife crisis for them right now. Right. And, well, well, nothing's wrong with us, but we just need to go ahead and switch some up because I, you know, I want a different. You know, right, but different view. Yeah, I, I think all these basketball schools, UConn should be the example of what not to do. Don't put yourself in that circumstance that they're going through right now. Because here's the other thing. I'll, I'll end with this when it comes to UConn, Tom. You know, let, let's say that they go into football as an independent. They're they're not a name brand, so they're not going to get a TV contract like Notre Dame has for their home games. And what they're going to find themselves doing, Tom, if they go as an independent is that UConn, in their 12-game schedule, is going to have to play about 9 or 10, probably, Power 5 conference schools and take checks and play probably a lot more road games than they would like because they're going to need to make up that money somehow. That loss in TV revenue, you got to find it somewhere. And for a program like UConn, who's not a national brand, Tom, you know what that means? That means that... uh, Okay, you're going to go get whooped by USC, Notre Dame, Texas, Oklahoma, whatever. You're going to schedule teams, go take paychecks to go get your butts kicked, and you don't want to be in that situation. I don't think anybody wants to be in that situation. Uh, So to bring it upon yourself is kind of silly. No question. No question. All right, we'll have more on this. Also on uh, some Big 12 football, talk KU, some other things, with uh, Tim Brando as he joins us on the other side here on the Jones Report. Joining us now here on the Jones Report today is Tim Brando from Fox Sports as we are getting oh so closer to the college football season just a couple months away and he has been kind enough to give us a little break from the golf course. It is Tim Brando who joins us right now. Timmy B, what's uh, what's happening? Tyler, a little bit of a dose of reality. I'm off the course and it's uh, about to be July 4th week and, uh, and, and, and now I'm in, I'm in the house and we're going to talk some football. So a little dose of reality for me, right? You're going to keep me in check for the fall, uh, even during my off time. That's good. Right, Happy to right. be with you. Yeah, it, it'll be here before we know it of uh, this uh, this upcoming football season uh, fastly approaching. And uh, we, we've heard talk, Tim, for quite some time about that. You know, hey, college, that a conference realignment is on the horizon. That it'll be here soon. And 
the first domino may have fallen with uh, with UConn announcing that they will leave the AAC and join the Big East. First off, what did you make of the move from uh, from UConn to, uh, to to join the Big East and, and rejoin that uh, conference where they had so much success for so many years? I, I don't know that I prescribe to the theory that this is the first domino of what could be an avalanche of movement. Uh, I think this is more of an isolated circumstance based primarily on the the budget concerns at Connecticut. You know, they have been operating uh, in the red for some time, and uh, their football program had just absolutely, after the 2010 Fiesta Bowl, cratered to such a point that they were uh, – they had displaced Kansas as the worst team in Division One college football by a long shot. Okay, uh, and that's and that says a lot um, to some extent, uh, Tyler. And and they were in a I think a no win position uh, in terms of what to do about it, other than uh, at least get their base back involved with their program and their base. Uh, simply were not interested in watching teams out of the American Conference come into uh, Stores, Connecticut to play basketball. And it is a basketball-first uh, institution when it comes to athletics. Uh, you know, I, I think that this is really a devastating circumstance and situation for their football program. I don't know what they're going to do. It doesn't sound like they know what they're going to do. Um uh, but, but, you know, again, uh, to, to, to cut ties with, uh, the American Conference after they had just gotten a billion dollar TV deal. Now, granted, this was not, you know, you say a billion dollar TV deal over time. It was not like they were going to get all this money right away, but right. this league has taken giant steps to improve itself from the group of five, um, they they are by far and away the most successful from a financial standpoint conference in TV revenues that uh, come from the group of five. So, you know, they, they were in a position, I think, to grow exponentially as a football conference. And once these new TV deals, uh, you know, the, 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 the first one really was the American this year. And the new TV deals are two to three years away. Once those deals start happening, then we might see some movement. Uh, and, I, and I think to some extent the movement uh, is going to be predicated in a lot of respects off of what the American Conference uh, has accomplished. Um, all those other leagues are really on an island, and they're not getting paid. I mean, I think you notice Conference USA, I think, got a deal with the NFL Network. I don't, I've never seen any financials on that. My guess is they're happy to get the exposure. And, and maybe it's a revenue share. I've not seen any numbers about, uh, rights fees or any of that. I dare say there's not much, if any, there. Uh, and the Sun Belt and the, and the Mountain West are going to do whatever they can do. But the American was doing pretty well. I think the teams were going to get, the schools were, uh, going to get nice, you know, paychecks at the end of the year. Uh, but not the kind of paychecks that Connecticut needed. Uh, you know, when they were losing 30, 35 to $40 million annually, you know, they needed a get, a get rich quick fix. Uh, and, uh, I think from an, uh, uh, the Olympic sports standpoint, and certainly from a college basketball standpoint, they're going to see, uh, some advantages come from it because the Big East does have a good TV deal with Fox, but, uh, and relative to football schools, it, it, uh, it's paid handsomely. Those schools, 
get a lot of revenue. They can afford high-priced coaches and, and have outstanding facilities as a result. But I, I just think this leaves their football program in limbo. And I don't know. I mean, most of the leagues uh, have already told them they're not interested. So if they're going to try to function as an independent, uh, I believe UConn football is back in peril. They may wish for the days that they were back in the FCS uh, before they went Division One. I. I mean, it, it, it could be that bad for them. Uh, as it relates to the rest of the leagues, uh, I think that the potential, and maybe this is the lesson learned, uh, schools like Kansas, Kansas State, uh, Iowa State, uh, that were in a, a lot of, I think, uh, peril uh, about 10 years ago when there was this movement towards moving the Pac-12 and the Big 12 together, uh, maybe the lesson should be learned here to keep your eyes open and keep your head on a swivel if you're running those programs because uh, you could be in a similar situation uh, as Connecticut if there was that kind of move made again. Uh, of course, that, that ended, if you recall, with ESPN stepping in and salvaging Texas with what turned out to be a $300 million mistake right. called the Longhorn Network. <laughs> uh, so... To me, that's the, the the big the bigger issue here to be learned from the situation with UConn is that if you're in charge of uh, of those schools I mentioned in the Big Twelve uh, that could have been left to, you know on the curb uh, years ago, I know Bill Self was very concerned about it. You need to stay on top of things uh, over these next three or four years when these TV deals come up to make sure that you're you're okay, protect your flank. You know, I think that's maybe the lesson that we learned from it. Absolutely. And and that goes right into my next point. You know, in KU circumstances, it's a program that has a brand new head coach in Les Miles. Jeff Long has been there for uh, just over a year now. Uh, I mean, they, they, they know pretty pretty well that they have to, you know, button things up for when this, you know, next round uh, of realignment could happen here. Uh, it, that's why it's so important when you see what happened to UConn that, that you don't want to be in that circumstance. And KU, with the way their football program is now, um, it's pivotal for this program to find success and and uh, to catch up to speed so they, they they don't find themselves in that same situation like UConn. Well, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You're there on a daily basis. I'm not. But for everything I've heard, uh, recruiting season was a success, really a smash. Uh, first time we've heard about Kansas being top 20 uh, in, in that area, uh, in a long, long time. Uh, and again, if I'm wrong, you can, you can correct me here. The, the funding, uh, from private resources, uh, being gathered by Jeff Long is, uh, at an all time high, which it needs to be, uh, towards improving that eyesore facility that they're currently playing in. The stadium, uh, needs a, a lot of work, if not a complete, uh, refurbishing. It's going to cost millions of dollars. They got to step that up. They've got to make sure that those facilities are in keeping with any of those power conferences that we talk about that uh, that want to continue to play at the very highest level of college football. Having less miles is certainly going to help. I think it's uh, already brought a great deal of uh, notoriety in the off season to the program uh, with the talent that is coming back, and as I said, the recruiting success that they've already brought in, uh, I think the chance of, um, of their having a, a really good first season for less, maybe better than expected, is there. 
doing something besides finishing in the cellar of the league would go a long, long way uh, towards uh, you know, the first building blocks for Kansas success in football. And uh, look, make no doubt about it. Uh, the Connecticut situation, let's let's not lose sight of the fact that, you know, Rentschler Field was built, that little small stadium, which they thought was a big deal at the time. Uh, frankly, from my point of view, it wasn't. Uh, the, the people, the natives in, the, in that area of New England were never going to be that caught up in football. Uh, just by their nature, there was no history there. Uh, Kansas is a different animal. Kansas has had some success uh, from generation to generation. Yes, it's a basketball program first, but it's always been in a league that was known as much for its football as its basketball, right. uh, that being the old Big Eight. And frankly, uh, this is a, a program and institution that wants to compete at the very highest level in Division One football as much as it does basketball, and that was never true at Connecticut. Okay, right. So, so I think that I think that Kansas, the, the Kansas comparison from a monetary standpoint, and given where the program has been, I can get that. But I don't think that um, uh, that the, the the people that uh, are fans of the school, the donors. Uh, and the people that can make a difference want to view themselves as a Midwestern case for Connecticut because they aren't. Um, so, so with that in mind, Jeff's in a very good position. I think Kansas is in a better position than maybe some might think. Uh, but you, you certainly have to be concerned. Uh, you have to be aware. And as I said, checks and balances, make sure. And this is why Jeff is such a great hire as an AD. Uh, he is so well connected. Uh, one of the really uh, bright men in intercollegiate athletics. And not only is he great at fundraising, but he's also great at walking into a room and getting tremendous respect. We're talking about a past chairman and spokesperson for the college football playoff. Someone that's been a part of the NCAA tournament solution. A guy that understands the inner workings of intercollegiate athletics and brings a level of gravitas that, frankly, Connecticut never had. So I... I I don't want to startle anyone in Kansas uh, because you shouldn't be. But you got the right people in the right place to deal with all that's out there in the current landscape, which I think should be comforting to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think you're exactly right on that. Uh, Tim, you, you know Les Miles as well as anybody, and, and we mentioned Jeff Long as well. Uh, we, we, we've seen from the recruiting just how things have stepped up. You know, the bringing in Rick Walls in the spring game and all the excitement from all this. But uh, at the end of the day, it, it's still just a results, you know, business and still, you know, waiting for, you know, to see what comes of that. But so far at this point, you know, based on all the, the shenanigans and just the, just the fun and, and environment and atmosphere, everything you've heard from Les Miles in these last few months, does, does any of this surprise you at all? No, no, not at all. See, Les is one of these guys uh, that believes that fun should be part of the process, that that it is a business, and, yeah, you've got to win, and it is a results-conscious world that we live in in intercollegiate athletics, but he wants it to be fun. And I think he's loving the fact that, for him, anyway, as a head football coach, this isn't this is really the first time that he hasn't dealt with – really huge expectations even when he was at Oklahoma State uh and was successful in three years he beat Bob Stoops two times you know no other coach at Oklahoma State had a winning record against Stoops but but Les did but there was a lot of pressure 
uh, in Stillwater to to be successful. Um, you know, Boone Pickens was not going to bring that money forward and subsidize it unless there had not been some success on the field. And I think everybody knew that, including Les. Now, the opportunity arose. It kind of came out of left field. And he left sooner than expected when Saban decided to go to the Miami Dolphins in 2005. And, you know, that's a job you have to take. Uh, that's one of the top five jobs in America. So he had to take that job. Once he was there, he dealt with just all kinds of expectations, many of them unfair, um, all the way until the tumultuous end of his career uh, in midseason a few years back. I think now... Uh, with a few years removed from all of that, uh, he sees this as uh, his his last run and a, a, a new beginning, uh, and an opportunity to create new memories for everyone, and he loves that. You know, he's in uh, he's lighthearted, he's in great shape, and he understands what uh, the expectations are, and he's embracing those, and he feels like I think for the first time that he can go out and just be himself. And not worry that some of the blue bloods are going to be, I don't know, embarrassed that their coach may come off as quirky from time to time. You know, that that happened a lot right. uh, for Les with the naysayers uh, in Baton Rouge. That they were they were too much of a blue blood to have sort of, a, at times, a class clown as head coach. Les loved being the butt of the joke. He didn't mind it at all. You know, when I saw that video that he and Bill Self did, I just died. I thought this is so perfect. This is exactly what the young uh, student body and what uh, the, the young alumni want to see from uh, their their football coach and from their basketball coach too. Right. Uh, ability to laugh at yourself. The ability to, yeah, you're serious about winning, but you're not taking yourself too seriously. Uh, those are all things that, that he's built about. And frankly, he learned that from the, the taskmaster, uh, Bo Schembechler, when he was a player at Michigan. You know, Bo was a tough love guy. Uh, the border war with Woody Hayes was a big deal, but Bo didn't mind a good laugh every now and then, you know, and that's really who Les is. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. We're joined by Tim Brando of Fox Sports here on the uh, Jones Report this week. Tim, a couple more things uh, with you here. Uh, with, with, you know, KU and K-State both have brand-new head coaches this year. K-State, of course, hiring Chris Kleiman away from North Dakota State. And historically speaking, when when each of those programs have had success, the the other one has not been successful uh, with with bringing in two coaches of the caliber of Kleiman and Les Miles. Do you think the two can coexist? Could they both be competitive, or do you think it's going to be one or the other uh, going forward? You know, that's a great question. I, I think there was a time uh, that that was a feeling in the state of Mississippi with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Uh, it was one of the reasons why the rivalry from time to time got out of hand. There, there, there is a comparison because neither state is particularly densely populated. Uh, you know, w one of the schools is uh, considered more of an agricultural school uh, that uh, that uh, deals more with um, uh, junior college players uh, than most. There was a time when Bill Snyder had uh, more junior college players dotting his roster than any other Division One program. Same was true at. Mississippi State, when Jackie Sherrill was there uh, in the 80s and, and, uh, and 90s. Um, 
uh, Kansas, I think, uh, during the time where we were going through that futility U period uh, in the late 80s and before Snyder took over as head coach uh, at Kansas State, I think people really felt that, gosh, this is this is really bad. It's it's which one of these teams could possibly uh, evolve. And it turned out to be Kansas State from a football standpoint. But think about it. Uh, it's not like Kansas didn't have some success. You know, they did. Uh, Mangino took that team into a position to play in a 1-2 game the very year that Les Miles was winning a national championship at LSU in 2007. You know, it wasn't like Kansas State just didn't play during that period. I think that um, uh, because of the, the missions and the differences between the two schools are unique in the state of Kansas, uh, with with new blood, a younger uh, new head coach with a fresh approach that's coming from a great deal of success uh, at North Dakota State could be very good for for that program after the years uh, under Snyder. And um, although it's it's not been seen before, the last time Snyder walked away, three years didn't quite work out, and he had to come back for a second curtain call. I, I don't think there will be a third for him. Right. So I think the pressure on Kansas State uh, is is a little bit more difficult uh, for Kleinman coming in. But after doing what he did at North Dakota State, I, I think uh, you know he's he doesn't care about the history. He he doesn't. You know, my statements based on what's happened historically uh, in the state of Kansas in football mean nothing to him. So he may not feel it, but people around him may. Uh, at Kansas. Uh, I think, as I said, Les is just kind of coming in, doing his thing and business as usual uh, for him, knowing that the talent pool that he's inheriting is actually better than a number of people realize. And I think he's kind of salivating at the thought that they might be better than most experts think even even this season. So I guess what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is I, I think that, yes, both teams can be successful. Uh, the degree of that success is debatable, but if you were to say, could both teams be bowl teams? Absolutely they could. Uh, and could one of those bowl teams, uh, maybe go in successive years and perhaps make a run to contend for a division crown, uh, in, in the next handful of years? Yeah, I, I think one of them could. Not both, but one could. Tim, uh, one of those players that Les Miles inherited is uh, Puka Williams uh, entering his sophomore season. Uh, it sounds like that he'll be suspended more than likely for the first couple games, dating back to a uh, domestic issue this offseason. But uh, from what you saw from Puka in year one and now heading into year two, uh, how, how excited do you see to, to see this guy again? And, and, and how good is he, comparably speaking, to the rest of the country? We know that he uh, was first-team all-conference last year, but what, what do you think he can do in year two? He put on a show in that Oklahoma game Spencer Tillman and I had at the end of the year. I can tell you that. Uh, and he, he put on that show against the eventual Heisman winner, uh, Connor Murray. It was uh, very impressive. Uh and I'm glad that they were able to get things worked out uh, so that those charges were dropped in a position to give him a chance to play again. Otherwise, it could have been devastating for him. Uh, I'm sure Les will handle that appropriately in terms of, uh, you know, the disciplinary action that needs to be taken early. 
running back you want to have healthy when it matters most. Uh, I think that, um, you know, this is a game-breaker uh, player we're talking about. Guy that's the difference in maybe, you know, a team going 7-5 and five or 5-7, five and seven, you know, or the difference in 4-8 and eight and 8-4. Uh, and four. I mean, he, he's that good. Um, but having him healthy for the bulk of the season is also important. So uh, if they can find a way to uh, – to get the yards that they need to get on the ground uh, and make some plays in a variety of ways until such time as Puka is back into the lineup, then, you know, I think that they have a much better chance of being, you know, a bowl-eligible team by year's end simply because he his legs will be fresh when you need him to be, you know, when you're going up against the top caliber competition. Uh, I, I Listen, I the offense itself I think will be – different from what we saw a year ago, but not so much different that it won't create obvious run lanes and also passing opportunities. That's the thing about Puka. He's also a good receiver right. coming out of the backfield. Uh, I, I think the chances are magnificent that uh, he can provide the spark necessary once he does get on the field. The key will be how do they perform without him? whether it's for just a game or, or two games, because those are the places where you absolutely can't afford to lose. Right. You know, you need to get those W's against the teams that you're playing against, especially outside your league. You need to get those taken care of uh, and, and put them in the hip pocket because you're, you're going to be calling upon those late in the year as you're trying to get bowl eligible. Right, right. The, the KU has no business losing to Indiana State or Coastal Carolina or those teams. you got to take care of business. Uh, when right. uh, that opportunity comes. Last question for you, Tim. Just the Big 12 as a whole this year. I know that we're, we're still a little bit out, but just looking ahead, I mean, you, you got Jalen Hurts coming into the league, Texas coming off their best year in, in a very long time with that Sugar Bowl victory. Uh, it, it sounds like we're heading into a, a very exciting 2019 in the conference. Yeah, I think the league is in great shape. Uh, I mean, it's 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 not the SEC and it's not the Big 10. Uh in terms of uh, depth, uh, but it's certainly on par with, if not better than, uh, the ACC, uh, short of Clemson being, you know, the runaway freight train uh, of that conference. Who will provide, um, you know, the, a, a real strong contest uh, to Clemson in the in the ACC is far more questionable than, you know, who's at the top and who's going to contest uh, Oklahoma. I think we know Texas will. And I think it's pretty obvious Iowa State will this year. Uh, Brock Purdy is a big-time talent and, uh, in my mind, is going to have a hell of a year. By the way, I can't wait to see his, his brother play, too. Uh, that's It's going to be interesting to see that young man come into the college game. Uh, but, but, you know, West Virginia may fall a little bit. Oklahoma State, will they be as good or will they slip down? Uh, just a bit. There's some interesting questions to me, uh, sort of uh, uh, at the in, in the middle of the league. You know, uh, West Virginia was a team that certainly had a chance last year, didn't get it done. Uh, how do they handle the loss of Dana Holgerson? Um, we all we all know it's a tough place to play when you go to Morgantown, but it's also tough traveling from Morgantown if you're West Virginia and you're not as loaded as you were in the past. Uh, how are you going to fare on the road in the Big 12 when you come from as far as they do for most of their road games? So uh, I, I think that's where 
teams like uh, Kansas with a new coach and a jolt of uh, of energy and enthusiasm, you know, have a chance to improve. There's some games in that conference now that I think are more gettable uh, for teams like uh, Kansas and Kansas State uh, than there than there were a year ago. Baylor, I think, is another one of those teams that I think could be much like Iowa State at the top of the heap again. You know, Rule has done a really good job uh, turning that thing around from the depths of despair uh, that they were in. So there are a lot of incredible storylines, Tyler. I mean, a lot of incredible storylines with the Big 12 that I think are going to make it a hell of a lot of fun. I'm I'm looking forward. I hope my schedule is dotted with uh, uh, as many Big 12 games as Big 10 games because I think the league's got – a lot to sell this year. Yeah, yeah, no, no question about it. And uh, you guys at Fox will do a great job covering it all. The uh, the best game of the week on Fox is always going to be at 11 a.m. Central Time this year, and and uh, some several different things. Uh, any anything you want to tell us about uh, what what you guys are doing at Fox? Anything exciting coming up this year? Well, I, I know I can tell you. Uh, I guess we can break the story here. I'll be opening on Friday night, uh, the 30th of uh, of August. Um, uh, Spencer and I will have um, Tulsa at Michigan State. That's one of those Friday night games, the first weekend uh, of the season. As you know, that, that weekend is open. The NFL doesn't play, so there's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so, you know, all the way through the Labor Day weekend. So uh, we're going to work a Friday game at Sparty uh, with Coach uh, uh, D'Antonio's team and see how they fare. You know, they've struggled sometimes offensively early in seasons. And the Golden Hurricane are going to go in there and, you know, let's spread it around and see what they can do the first week. Uh, week two will be at Penn State for a prime timer on Fox. Uh, by the way, that game, uh, that first game on the 30th is on FS1, uh, in prime time. The, uh, the following week will be at Penn State and Happy Valley for a Buffalo team with Lance Leipold was that uh, incredibly gifted Division Three head coach that won all those national titles. He's now got Buffalo, you know, uh, getting to bowl games. And we're going to have them in primetime uh, that week. And then the following week, week three, we'll go back to Sparty, back to East Lansing, uh, to do Arizona State uh, with Herm Edwards and company uh, at Michigan State. Uh, my buddy Kevin Mawa, uh, the All-Pro and uh, Hall of Famer, has now joined forces with Herm to be uh, a line coach with uh, the Sun Devils. And Arizona State's got a, uh, you know, an uplifting story, too. They've, they've kind of turned things around there. So that's where we're going to be the first three weeks. I know my dates for those games. That'll be an afternoon game uh, on Saturday, the 14th of September. After that, I really don't know. Looking forward to another great season. Can't believe it's going to be our sixth year uh, at Fox. and It'll be my fifth year at Fox with Spencer and my 21st year with Spencer overall. We've done 21 of the last 22 years together going back to our days at CBS. So that's kind of cool. Well, and, and, and Tim, I think that you deserve credit for the, the, the guys you work with. I mean, you worked with Joel. He's lead analyst. Brady moves to the studio this year. Spencer has yeah. been great all those years. And, and, and of course, you were the one that got Les Miles motivated and ready to be a head coach again. So I think yeah, just call me the uh, just call me the color analyst whisperer. Yes, <laughs> that's me, right? Yes, no question, no doubt about it. Tim, thanks for the time. Well, uh, we'll catch up before the season begins. You got it, Tyler. Anytime, buddy. 
Big thanks to Tim Brando for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. Hey, Tom, uh, tequila. You've been practicing that one, I can tell. I've been ready. I'm ready for my moment. I'm ready for this to get done when I get the chance to perform tequila. But anyways, Tom, uh, did you hear about what the new title for NBA owners are? According to Commissioner Adam Silver, he spoke with TMZ, which you know is just the best you know news source, the one I trust to trust for all the great information out there. He told TMZ that the league has banned the term owner and that they are now referring to the owners of the league. I'm still going to call them owners no matter what. They're now referring to them as governors. And so now if you are the owner of a team that you have paid for, that you have owned like any other business out there, you are actually the governor of that organization. So I have a few questions. Can we vote out these governors? You know, like, you know, Clay Bennett has frustrated me sometimes in Oklahoma City. Can we, like, vote for Toby Keith to be the new owner of the Thunder? What about James Dolan in New York? Can he be voted out and maybe bring in a guy like, you know, Jeff Bezos or something from Amazon or something? Oh, my gosh. Jeff from Jeff Amazon takes over the Knicks or something. You know, like, that's what I wonder is not only – This is so ridiculous. To call these owners now governors, um, you know, first off, it doesn't even make sense. A a governor is an elected official who does not own the situation. And then, not to mention, Tom, the whole intent behind it apparently, you got these crybabies like Draymond Green and several others that, you know, don't like the term owner, that claim that there's this racial intent, you know, has to do with slavery and all this behind it. Look, you know, here's business 101 for you. If I paid for something, I'm the owner of it. That's how this works. You're the owner. That's, you know, that, that's just basic business here. And, you know, here's the deal. Governors were slave owners too. Are you trying to tell me that there weren't any slave owners that were governors back in the day as well? No, of course there were. It, it's it's ridiculous. The concept behind this and the whole PC culture and everything that surrounds this, this is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard, Tom. Yeah, it's, it's pretty dumb. Uh, it's, you know, I get trying to make it all right, and, and I, I, I get that a little bit. I mean... I mean, the Redskins are probably still going to be called the Redskins for I don't I don't know how long. Um, but to change owners, we, we, to we call owners, them the R words. The R words? Are we just going to start calling NBA owners the O words? The O words. There we go. O words. I'm going to just start calling. And when I buy a house, I don't want you to call me a house owner. You're a governor. Call me a house governor. You're the governor, governor of, of your house, Tom. Exactly. Not a landowner, a land governor. Yeah. If I buy land over in England. Yeah, you're, you're the governor. You're the governor, governor of that land. And uh, you're, can can you be impeached as the governor of, you know, well, that, I have so many questions, Tom. You know, do does the NBA realize what a governor is? Because obviously they, they, the two aren't related. A governor and the owner are two completely different things. The governor of the kings? 
How does that work? Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it is uh I think this is a disaster and the NBA is trying too hard to, you know, please a certain crowd. And, They're still going to be called owners, though. It's like uh, all the Albertsons that got changed to Food Pyramid. People still call it Albertsons. Right. I still end up calling Food Pyramid Albertsons, and they changed that place before I was like 13. It's, uh, you know, nobody calls the Willis Tower in uh, Chicago that. Everybody still calls the it the Sears. Sears Tower. Right. Yeah. We're, we're still going to call them owners, the O-words, or for short. The O-words. Right. But, <laughs> you know, that's that's who they are. They, they are the owners of these organizations. And uh, to, to me, it, it's so silly that we have gotten to this point that, that we are having to call them governors. What about, like, my fantasy team, Tom? If I play fantasy basketball, am You're I the fantasy, fantasy governor? Fantasy governor. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. Oh. I love it. The fantasy governor, you know, on my uh, – he, here's the other thing. So if I'm the fantasy governor, if I draft guys like, you know, Kevin Durant or Russell West, whatever, are those guys on my cabinet or how does that work? Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, the next <laughs> thing – here's the next thing that's going to happen, Tom, based on this trend – they're not going to want to call these guys players because they're going to say, you know what, that has an intent that you're saying that they, you know, cheat on women or whatever. They're, that we don't want to be called players anymore. You know, that's going to be the next step now. They're gonna they're gonna make shirts that you know the owner is the governor, and you know I'm guessing the coach would be the floor leader or maybe like the speaker of the house. Right, and all the play, all the players, they're going to be the caucus, and they're going to come up with a team, and the starting five on the shirts going to say "Suck my caucus." <laughs> <laughs> so, would you not buy a shirt? Oh, I would. I would. I would. So, so Kevin Stitt is now the owner of the Thunder. Oh God! <laughs> I, no, I hope this doesn't happen in the NFL because I don't want Jerry Jones getting any ideas. <laughs> Governor Jerry. Oh God, Jerry! Oh my gosh! Uh, you know that would be if I was a Texan. I would, and Jerry Jones became governor. I would, I would think about moving out of Texas. When does this end, though? Because if you got a problem with the owner, you know, I thought about that in two seconds that you could have a problem with player, um, you know, coach. You could say, well, you know. I don't want to be responsible. You're implying that it's my job to be responsible for these individuals and their actions, and you know I, I'm not that. You know, so maybe coach is offensive now too. When does this all end, Tom? This this PC culture is just going to get in the way of things where we can't have a just normal functioning society anymore. I don't want to be called fan anymore. Yeah, that's offensive. Fan is short for fanatic, and that means crazy. Yeah, I'm not crazy. I don't. I don't know what another term. What would be the term for fan? Um, a porter. A, a tender of game. Oh my gosh! Spectator. Yes. That's even worse. Spectator just sounds like you're there and not interested. Right. I am not a fan. I am a spectator. Yes. Yeah. The F word. The new F word. The new F word. Yes. Fan. Fan is a bad word. You know, we're we're not saying that when we're saying spectator. Yeah, it's like. 
don't the F word. Coach, just call it the C word. Right. Everybody knows what the C word is. Oh my gosh! But <laughs> in other changes in the NBA offseason, Tom, the NBA draft is complete, and now going forward, free agency is on the horizon. Uh, July fourth is not too far from now. I know that's a great day in Thunder history, um, <laughs> as uh, <laughs> as free agency is uh, here. Tom, tell me this: is is this the best free agent class that that we've ever seen, or at least that I can think of in recent memory? I mean, Kawhi Leonard, you got the best player in the world, and Kawhi Leonard is available right now. Kevin Durant's available. You know, Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, just to name a few off the top of my head. I mean, there is so much good talent. You know, Kyrie Irving is a free agent. Um, you know, there, there's so many guys out there in this year's uh, free agency class that are available that are up for the pickets. Oh, wait, we probably can't say pickets, Tom. That, that you know, it's probably got some bad intent <laughs> some sorts. But, you know, there, there's a lot of options available in this free agency period that uh, that I think we, a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like we had a pretty good idea. It seemed pretty clear that Kawhi was going to be on the out, that Durant was going to be on the out, Clay Thompson, uh, you know, we didn't know what he was going to do and such. I mean, there, there was just a lot of things that has changed just based on that one series we saw in the NBA Finals. Now... With Kawhi winning that championship, you know, it's a whole lot more likely he stays in Toronto than previously. Durant, um, you know, his situation, he's not going to play next year likely. Same with Klay Thompson and all this here. All these other factors, there is a lot of unknown going into this free agency period, more so than we thought we had this all figured out just a couple weeks ago. In the free upcoming free agency for a while there, Tom, overshadowed the season itself. Oh, of course it did. Just with all the rumors and, you know, someone potentially going here and going there. And, then and you know, obviously Anthony Davis, he's a Laker now. Um, but, you know, just that whole saga of him, you know, shutting her down midseason, just, you know, and wearing a shirt, that's all, folks. I mean, that was a biggie. Uh, I mean, that just kind of brings it up mid-season, really, that, hey, this is not about the Pelicans anymore. This is about free agency. And, you know, if let's say AD doesn't decide to just, you know, if he if he plays or if he wants to, wants to stay, let's say the Pelicans don't end up with the number one pick, then we're looking at a whole different situation here. <laughs> right. And now the Pelicans don't have the Lakers – you know, future like they do now. And the Lakers, I think, look a little bit stupider for trading three first-round picks um, and Ingram and Hart. Uh, and and uh, Lonzo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, eh, Lonzo's not bad, but he comes with some baggage that I wouldn't want. Can you imagine Lonzo Ball drunk on – or LeVar Ball drunk on Bourbon Street yelling about how the Lakers made the worst decision ever? If I'm, we mentioned TMZ earlier. If I'm them, I'm going to send a reporter uh, just to cover the Ball family in New Orleans and just wait for something to happen. Oh, man. There's going to be like a hard knocks version for Lonzo in New Orleans. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. I'm so ready. It it will be next February when Mardi Gras comes. I wonder if TMZ is going to snap a picture of a LeVar Ball looking at all the titties on bourbon. 
<laughs> please, please. You know he will be. We're giving them free ideas right now. I think I think we should we should go. We ought to take a Tom and Ty trip down to New Orleans. I think this I've year. never been to New Orleans. You're missing out on a lot of fun. My parents are actually going this weekend. Really? Yeah, they're taking a, a little little trip. They're also going to Florida too, but they're staying two nights in New Orleans. So Johnny takes New Orleans. Speaking of New Orleans, I'm telling you what, it must be a thing. I made gumbo last night. It must be one. It must be time to go home. Gumbo, that I bet that was fantastic. That oh, was amazing. Did did you go in for that gumbo like uh, like your favorite Rams cornerback did that pass interference? I, did, I took it. I took it out. Yeah, I didn't even get called for a penalty until later when I was in bed, <laughs> tooting it all up. Yeah, then uh, then that was under further review. Yeah, right. Yeah, we got. I think the the, the temperature in the room rose a few degrees. You, you had a little butt fumble. Hey, anyway, I was Mark Sanchez all over. Yeah, it was worth it though. And let me tell you, Jones, have you ever had gumbo? I have. Yeah. Is there any good Cajun places in Kansas City? Um, there, uh, there is. Uh, there's a place called Jazz, and uh, they do uh, all sorts of Cajun food and live music and everything too, like live That's- jazz music. Yeah. That sounds amazing, and let me tell you, I you know if I was Levar Ball, you know still getting money, and and you know if he wants to go down there, I will say that I would much rather be partying in New Orleans than I would be in L.A. First off, the drinks, not bad. In Lots L.A., cheaper. the drinks. Oh, that's what I'm saying. You want to pay fifteen dollars for a Jack and Coke in L.A., or do you want to pay seven dollars for a Jack and Coke in New Orleans? Right. And you get beads in New Orleans. Let me tell you. That was some of the most fun I've ever had on uh, a city strip than anywhere else. I mean, everybody was having a good time. People are throwing beats left and right. Uh, I didn't even have to show my man boobs for any. I was just getting them thrown. And it was a hell of a time. So, you know, I get that New Orleans, you know, people like to rag on them. And they, you know, have all these woes that aren't very good. But give it some time. And I mean, when you're when you're stay when your arena is called the Smoothie King Center, when if you're all the king of you, you know, the only thing you're king of is some smoothies. Then, well, I don't know. And then and then going that, from the Hornets to the Pelicans, that uh, that baby, that king baby or whatever, is the creepiest thing I've ever seen. It is pretty. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. And just going from the Hornets to the Pelicans, right? You know, I get it, but that's not any knock on New Orleans because it's it is it is a place you must go. So, Tom, if I'm a free agent, I might not necessarily consider New Orleans over San Antonio. But if I'm looking for a good time, you can go find it in downtown. I've been New told that the best Final Four sites are uh, New Orleans and San Antonio. That those were the two best. I've done. Final Four in San Antonio is terrific. I hear New Orleans is the other best one. Oh, I can only imagine. What's around it, you know. Maybe not even necessarily the facilities. The Superdome isn't that great. But just all that <laughs> comes with it and the city itself, it's just terrific. You uh, know, well, the Superdome, Jones, just the structure itself, like going in, it, it like the universe, like Texas's stadium is nicer than 
the Superdome. I mean, they it say just, it's I terrifying like in, to sit on the upper deck of the Superdome. Yeah, you know, we were kind of up there. It's pretty steep, honestly, and the rows are pretty skinny. Um, and just, it feels like you're in a concrete box. That's all it is. The outside looks nice, you know, from the top. The, you know, the the air view looks nice from a bird's eye view, but when you get in there, no, no, it is not. But I'm not knocking it uh, because then I left after Oklahoma State, got the doors blown off of them, got drunk, and then I couldn't find my way around in a casino I was lost in uh, with about 50 strands of beads around my neck in a, in a hurricane. So, 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 Tom, let's circle back. If you had to guess right now, I'll give you the crystal ball first. Tell me where Kyrie, Kawhi, Durant, and Clay Thompson, and if I'm missing anybody else, tell me where those guys end up if you were to guess right now. I think Katie and Clay stay. Okay. I think, obviously, they can't play. They'd be stupid. Katie would be stupid just not to take his money and rehab in, in the Bay for a year as as well as clay uh i think Kawhi goes to the clippers you do think he leaves i think he leaves okay i think he does uh, i think his his team his his uncle i think he's hell-bent on getting getting back home i mean Kawhi's from there I mean, he's already won a championship with toronto they can't hate him if he leaves they can't hate him more than San Antonio does. Right. I know that for a fact. I think he leaves. Uh, Kyrie, that is just, I don't know. I don't know. You know, the Jazz already got their point guard and Conley. I don't think he's going to go to a non-playoff team. And, I mean, I don't, where do you, I'll ask, I'm going to throw it, I'm going to throw the crystal ball to you real quick. Where do you think Kyrie goes? Where's the best place for Kyrie? It's not Boston. And I, I think a Knicks team, I think that would just be another shit show like Carmelo Anthony was. I really do. I, I If I were to guess right now, I would say that Kyrie has probably figured out that he is not best suited as a number one option. That he needs to play somewhere where he's the number two guy. And, you know, one thing that's been consistent in Kyrie's career, Tom, is that, you know, he has not been the best teammate of sorts. When he was in Cleveland, you know, he was upset, apparently, when LeBron showed up. And then he I mean, he did say sorry. Later on. Right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, in the uh, situation where he, you know, went to Boston, you know, this has been a mess in this, you know, whole ordeal as well. So with with that being said, Tom, I, I think that he's going to be a number two option somewhere. And if I were to guess right now, I think there's a team that needs a point guard that he's familiar with, of uh, you know that apparently he's amended things with. I would say his best bet right now is he's going to be a Laker. You really think so? I'm not confident in saying that. Don't get me wrong, because um, he is hard to figure out. But if I were to guess, he is. I, I that would be my best guess would be that he's a Laker. Kyrie, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. Is that enough? No, I don't think that's enough because then the rest you of your roster is a bunch of you know veteran scrub. minimums and second round picks. 
I mean, that is true. Anthony Davis, Kuzma, LeBron, Kyrie, and... And a bunch of nobodies. Who's going to be the... Who's playing the two? That's a great question. I don't even know who's left on the roster. I can't even... I I, think they're going to unload that roster to only be left with LeBron, Anthony Davis, and, and Kyle Kuzma will be the only holdovers from last year's roster. Well, actually, the only holdovers would be LeBron and Kuzma at that point. Wasn't that there? I, I for one, am rooting for a dumpster fire season for the Lakers. I am oh, not me a too. fan me of too. the Showtime. I'm not a fan of Anthony Davis anymore after he pulled that stunt. with the. I was cool with it up until the That's All Folks shirt, and then I'm not cool with it. Right, right. Um, the others, Tom, if I were to guess, I would say that Katie and Clay just take the check and rehab and in in uh in Oakland there, you know, stay with the Warriors. That makes the most logical sense. And then go to free agency next year. Um Ka- Kawhi, something tells me, Tom, I think and, and he's another guy like Kyrie, he's hard to figure out. I think that he wants he would enjoy the championship celebration, the hoorah of the next year in the years to come in Toronto. I could see him uh, more than likely signing a short-term deal with Toronto, you know, anywhere from one to three years just to enjoy this ride, uh, you know, to celebrate the championship, you know, soak in all that's there, you know, maximize. Take the one is, and one. Yeah, maybe so. That's an older team in Toronto, too. Um, you know, make the most of what you have and then go – home to the Clippers or whatever, you know, just push it off a little bit. I could see him just, you know, making the most of what they have for the time being right now. Uh, you know, that would make sense. I, I could see him sign like a one-and-one, like a one-year deal and then the next player option just to see how things look after next year because if they keep the core together, I mean, they've got a pretty good shot, obviously, at uh, doing it again or, you know, especially with the Warriors being done. He's got- you know, they're not – and Kawhi is still really young, too. He's got more titles and finals MVPs at his age than MJ and LeBron did at this point in their careers. He doesn't have any, he doesn't have more than Patrick McCall does, though. No, Patrick McCall is, you know, the GOAT. I mean, if I'm the Spurs, I'm going after Patrick McCall. He seems to be the good luck charm. Patrick McCall and Robert Ory, well, everybody needs those guys. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be. I mean, if I'm Patrick McCall, I'm I'm good to go. Right? Yeah, he should be up for bidding. That should be who the Lakers should be going after. Forget Kyrie. Patrick McCall is a proven winner. Exactly. Three championships in three years. Yeah, that's the guy I you mean, want. I mean, the team. memes are made. The memes are made. The, you know, rode the bench for three years. All that. Maybe played two minutes in the finals. But I don't care. If you're playing in the NBA, even if you're riding the bench, you know, he, he's doing a better bench job than Kyle Singler ever could. You know, uh, LeBron has never won a championship, Tom, without a Jayhawk on his roster. Um, you know, it was Mario Chalmers those two years in Miami. And then... Uh, Who was it in Cleveland? Uh, Jacques Vaughn was. Oh, my God. Who was like the last man on the bench. He came in and yeah, shot how like... how old was he? Oh, he was. It was the very last year of his career. He shot like he came in. He was a three point specialist. Not bad at it either, um, but that's all he did. And so, if you're LeBron, like, what do you do now? Do you be like, 
Let's bring in LeGerald Vick. Let's make it happen. No, they're getting uh, they're getting Wiggins. <laughs> yeah, because that LeBron really wanted him the first time. Call call Cole Aldrich to come back. Right, Cole's not For doing a, anything right now. Yeah, veteran minimum. <laughs> veteran minimum, and they need a get big. Him on a ten, get him on a, a ten or fifteen day contract for the finals. Just for the finals, yes. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be terrific. Tom, before we get out of here today, time for our uh, Tom Fulgery story of the week this week. What do we have this time around? Okay, so I got a great one, and it's from 9news.com. I don't know where that's from, actually, because it doesn't say. But I'm going to guess it's going to be from the city here. No, maybe not. I don't know. doesn't matter. 9news, title, group in Boulder, drinks their own pee for health benefits. Ooh. Right? Um, this is some stuff right out of Bear Grylls. Medical experts say it's harmful and full of bacteria, but this group says when Western medicine didn't work, their own urine did. And this 9 News just popped up an ad on me, so give me a second. All right, Boulder, Colorado. Once a month, a group of people in Boulder get together at the public library to talk about a subject that most makes most people cringe and disgust. This is a urine therapy meetup, said Christopher Bacor. There are a group of people who either drink their own pee or use it for topical treatment. Macker began using it when he said no other creams or ointments helped his eczema on his hands. He says the moment he began soaking them in his urine, his eczema went away. It's the fluid of your body that's been given to you, said McCor, who added the practice days 4,000 years and is called Shivamhu. I don't know if I pronounced that right. The group also included Indira Bhat Gupka. A woman uh-huh. who said her urine you right? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, who said her urine has been helping with various ailments since nineteen eighty three. In the morning, that is the first thing I do, she said. Let some part go, take the middle part, put it in my eyes, put it in my face, and just have some chai in the morning. The group of five uses urine in various ways, although one participant just came to see what it was all about. Donna Calabrese hasn't tried it and wants more proof. When her friend told her about it, she had the normal American reaction. The second reaction is okay. There's got to be some sort of scientific validity somewhere. I need to see it, she said. Nine News medical expert, Dr. Komiya Saizan, said there isn't any scientific evidence and it could be harmful because of the bacteria. She would not recommend anybody try this. The group points to a book by Boulder resident Brother Sage as their proof. If that's not hipster enough, they've been smoking too much. This works, said McCor, if you just shift your perception about it, because that is how science works. Until the meeting on Wednesday morning, Thersi Nicole had only soaked her feet in urine, but the group gave her the courage to go further. I know that I'll be drinking my urine when I get home, she said, and she did. She gathered a fresh sample and drank it all in one gulp. With a shrug of her shoulders, Nicole said, that was fine. And that is where the article ends. Jones, if I drank my own urine, I could probably get drunk again. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that's like a recycled. It'd be like drinking an F5, I feel like. Maybe. Uh, I mean, just I mean, there's no way. There, there's no okay, way. Yeah, it, there's no way it tastes pleasant either. No, no. Even if I mean. Okay, even if you all you drank was water and you stayed properly hydrated for the day and your urine was, like, pretty clear, it probably would taste a little closer to water, honestly. 
but the normal American, I guarantee, is not hydrated enough, and I know I'm not. And the and the and the piss in the cup that this has this lady, that looks like mine in the morning. Uh, I mean, full of flavor. I mean, it looks like a darker to Miller Lite. Um, How much you want to bet that Tom Herman, who uh, does that uh, hydration chart, you know, stuff, uh, I that, has has uh, drank I his own piss at one point. Is it Tom Herman or is it Charlie Strong that it's did Tom that? Herman. Tom Herman does it. That, what was, did... a, that was a part of the culture change in Texas oh, was that you weren't going to be a bad teammate, that you were going to hydrate. No, that's right. And that, and, you know, at the Phillips I would bet money that he has drank his own piss at one point in time, probably on multiple occasions. Maybe to test, just test how hydrated he really was. Yes. You know, at Phillips 66, I think I sent you a picture of it out of the research center. There is a hydration chart that notes the color of your urine and how hydrated or not hydrated you are because you got to be a good teammate you know to uh to your your o word at the uh uh, philip 66 right yeah right exactly um jones how much in 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 preference be damned it can either be hot room temperature or cold how much would it take for you to drink 12 ounces of your own urine. Now, I can boil it and clean it, right? No, straight out of the pisser. Oh. You can straight straight out into a cup. Like if you were taking a drug test, you oh. can either drink it, let it sit for a while, or you can put it in the fridge. My own piss, not boiled or anything like that, uh, I would have to... It had to be six figures for me. Really? Yeah. What about okay. you? Okay, let's let's change it. A shot. A shot of a, my own a, piss. A shot glass full. How much money? Uh, I'd do it for a thousand bucks. I would do a twelve ounce cup for a grand. Really? Now, now here's if the it thing. Was, I if wouldn't I do can, it if it wasn't mine. If I can boil it, Tom, and you know. You get the back and clean it. I mean, I'll, I'll do it for you know. I would do a shot of it for a hundred bucks if I can clean it. If I can boil it. Man, this is really something here. <laughs> I, I think I would do a shot of my own right now for five hundred. How much would you do for a shot of it cleaned? Like you can boil it. What would be your asking price? I mean, do you imagine? Can you imagine just? Let me just put this in perspective here. Do you, in your own house, do you understand how bad that would make your kitchen smell? The ammonia in your own piss might, you'd have to fumigate the house. Because that is, would be more damaging to boil it and to vape, not to vape those fumes. You would (laughs) vape in your own piss. (laughs) You would be, you know, you would be literally breathing in your own here's what i would do here's what i would do breathe it in you would it would be in your lungs instead of your stomach this is what i would do you you go i would go to a campsite and boil it out there oh my god people walking by it smells like cat piss what are you doing like you're not grilling and you're like no one's gonna pay me a hundred dollars to drink my own piss they'd be like Oh, I knew you were from Oregon. <laughs> oh, oh, that yes. would be Tom Fuller in itself. I bet you we could get Nolan to drink his own pee. I bet so. I bet if we got him drunk enough, he would just do it 
for the snap. Oh yeah, hundred percent. He, he would he would do it. Maybe not maybe not for the gram, but he would do it for the snap. Yes, yes. But yeah, I'll, I'll t- tell you what. This is the challenge I'll put out there right now. If I can boil, if I can boil it, I would drink a shot of my own piss for a hundred bucks. There you have it, folks. Well, I'm going to set up like a GoFundMe. Tyler drinks his own pee for $100. And he gets to clean it. We'll make that clear. We get to boil. Okay. 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 Here. Drink a 12-ounce cup for $2,500 on live TV. (laughs) On Facebook Live? Yeah. be something. That would be... I would never do it hot. I don't know. I would have to have a couple of beers first. And the money would have to be right there. Yeah, that would be something if it got to that point. That that would be definitely a low point in my life. And Jones, these people now, are Tom, doing because the health let me say this: You would do the Bear Grylls thing, right, if it meant for your survival, right? Um, I mean, I mean, if I was parched and that's all there was left, I, I mean, honestly, you know. I mean, I would, I would do it for free if it meant for my survival, if I had to. Yeah, of someone held a gun to my head. Oh, for sure. I mean, well, you're not. Let's say in this case, it's not a gun. You're in the wilderness, and you don't have any clean water. This is your last, last hope. I mean, yeah. Oh, of course that. Now, if there was no wall, I would drink nasty. No, no, I don't know. Until I'm at that point, they say it's it's safer to boil your own piss and drink it than to drink the you know some drink some lake water, some lake and river water. Oh, I'm sure there's amoebas in that for sure. Yeah, I, you know what? That would be a very tough situation to be put in. And Jones, these people are doing it because they think it has health benefits. After a doctor said it does not. Yeah. Okay. I, there's no way that has health benefits. If you want to soak your and feet, if they are, if it does have health benefits, then they got to be outweighed by some bad health things. I wouldn't be telling people about it for one if I did that. They'd be what, like, hey, you, uh, what are you drinking there? Uh, I'm drinking my own piss. Yeah, what's your secret to clear skin? I wouldn't just be like, not to mention it probably smells like soaking your feet in it. Okay, soaking your hands in it. Okay, you know, if it, if it does that for you and nothing else works, you know what, fine. You know, do whatever you want. But would not be drinking it. Tom, do you, uh, do you pee in the shower? I think... That's a question that everybody does at least once. You have to at least once. Oh, I mean, everybody's done it. I mean, it's just going down the drain anyway. I mean, you have to aim at the drain, right? You don't just. You know, I don't even. That's that's even too tomfoolery for me. So, so we have a confession that Tom does pee in the shower. Confirmed. It is confirmed. Yes. Not every time and not all the time, but... Ever so often. You know, if you have to go pee and you don't, you know, and you well, don't have to go pee beforehand, you're in the middle of a hot shower. Right, you forgot to use the bathroom beforehand, and you're in the middle of a hot shower, and you don't want to get out. I don't, just, just I don't let know anybody who do that. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. I mean, I think that's fair. It only makes sense. On that note, we got to get out of here. We got to go pee in the shower and go uh, take a run. So, uh, big thanks, Tom. Uh, big Tom th- for uh, always doing great work and uh, providing us with terrific stories like that. And uh, Tim Brando for stopping by as well. 
and you're the listener for uh, joining us. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. Five stars. And if you leave us one, you drink your own pee. There you go. And you that's what that means. If you leave us a one-star review, you drink you're your a, own piss. You're a pee drinker. Yes, that's, what, that's exactly what that means. And... Uh, you know what? We are we we just own you. We are your 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 O word. Um, if we're in your head that much, that we that you give us a one star. Uh, Got to run. Follow us on social media: Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group, Instagram Tyler Jones Live, Instant Thomas Jones underscore Report, and uh, we'll see you right back here next week. I'm off to Southern California. And uh, and I will see you all here in the next couple days. And uh, have a, a great rest of your week. So long, everybody. The Jones Report. F- yeah.